You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everybody, to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for creative renegades and highly sensitive beatniks. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and today what I want to talk about are, well, two things, uh, collaboration on the one hand and leadership on the other. So what I've noticed, I just think it's really interesting when you look at what's going on in the United States right now, uh, whether you want to focus purely on COVID-19 or if you want to focus on uh, the economic ramifications of COVID-19, you know, Really, when you get to whatever you want the focus of your attention to be on, I think it's pretty clear for just about everyone that we're dealing with a new kind of normal. And it's very interesting for me to watch people try and adapt to new normal when, you know, we humans don't exactly thrive with when we have to go through this much change this rapidly. At least we don't seem to as individuals. As not to say that we can't or that we don't come out stronger in the end and, you know, all the good fluffy stuff. But what I find really interesting is when you see it on a macro scale, you start watching the breakdowns of systems we've put in place that we thought might have been more robust and it turns out perhaps we're less flexible and resilient than we needed them to be. Ah, that's enough of that. You know, I've noticed that when I'm watching people all over the United States, there's different states that are engaging in different actions and behaviors. Some states seem to really have gotten together. Uh, I'm using as an example, in my brain, you can't read my mind, so in my brain I'm thinking about COVID-19, right? And there are some countries, I'll start there, that were just rock stars right out of the gate. So South Korea is a really great example. In South Korea, they tested just about everybody. I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but they got massive numbers of test kits out. They made getting tested for COVID-19 remarkably easy and painless. And they were really effective at contacting those who had had contact with someone who turned out to test positive for COVID-19. So the combination of that alongside an entire population of people who were willing to shelter in place and do it really quickly and very effectively right out of the gate led to them being able to to flatten the curve much quicker than many other countries. So now fast forward, come on over to the United States. And what we're starting to see is, you know, the United States is sort of behaving like a, a union of many miniature countries. Some places in the U.S. are being almost militaristic with their response, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, I'm using, in my brain, I'm thinking about uh, Ohio. So the governor came out almost immediately, had almost a militaristic response, and when I use that word, what I mean is very organized, uh, really clear about the direction that the all of everyone should be taking, had really clear guidance. It was very, you know, like um, it was very effective leadership when what you're trying to achieve is a common goal. So he was able to create a common goal and then get everyone on board with 
accomplishing that goal. Um, that's not to say that they somehow eradicated COVID-19. It's nothing like that. But you see some similar examples of that happening uh, in the Bay Area of California. And then meanwhile, you all see some other states that are just still kind of like, nah, it's not really a thing. Is it even that big of a deal? Uh, and then likewise, you're seeing some people continue to go to work even though they prefer to stay home because they're scared and other people are being forced to stay home when they would prefer to take the risk. And it, we're getting mixed messages with regard to, is this really a problem or isn't this a problem? So it's a little bit, and then compound that with, well, wait a minute, should, be, should we be worried more about the economy right now than we are about COVID-19? Like, whoa, where should we be coming from? It, it, nothing seems certain. Okay, so that's, there we are. <laughs> that brings us to today. And I've had many conversations with a variety of people, and I think one of the, what inspired this topic from me to begin with was listening to a podcast from Sam Harris, and he talks about social cohesion. And to, in case you don't know what that is, um, social cohesion is really the willingness for a group of people to come together to achieve a common goal. Which, again, when you're looking at the United States, we aren't exactly known for being able to do that. I mean, we can when it's absolutely necessary. I mean, man, Pearl Harbor hit, and there's a reason why... I believe it was the Japanese leader. I don't remember what what that position was called at the time, but he's evidently having been quoted saying, I, I fear we have only awakened a sleeping giant. And America has every capacity to be a giant. You know, when people say, oh, the U.S. is still the best country in the world, I balk at that as an American, and I don't balk at it because I'm not proud to be an American. I balk at it because I am proud, and also I love my country enough to be able to say honestly, no, it's not the best country in the world. There's a lot of areas where we can, I mean, just by virtue of numbers, we don't have the best infant mortality rate. We don't have the best health care if you're talking about what we get for what we pay. We don't have the best... Um, education, like the scores, when you're talking about, you know, tests that we take, we don't score highest in science or math. There's all er kinds of areas that we just aren't number one. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying that to belittle my country. I'm saying it more like the parent who's looking at its kid and saying, listen, I get that you're trying, kiddo, but I know you can do better than this. And I think you know you can do better than this, too. So that's where I'm coming from when I say, hey, I don't think we are a number one. However, uh, we are good at, we are champions of the individual. We celebrate the individual. And I think that's not just a trademark of the United States. It's really a trademark of Western civilization. But it's pronounced here in the U.S. There really is a tremendous delight that we all share in an individual person's success. And even when we see economic stratification and a part of us box at, you know, extraordinary wealth that one person might have and extraordinary positive that another might have. Deep down in the emotional marrow that is the American spirit, a lot of us are willing to tolerate it. Might even in the recesses of our shadowed mind appreciate it because there's a sense that, yeah, but maybe I could get there someday. Maybe I'll be the one. I'll be the you know, you name it. And yet, the one downside to celebrating the individual to the degree that it 
champions it far and above a community at large is that when you have problems like COVID-19, which really does demand social cohesion, you know, again, the willingness to work together for a common problem or threat, this gets really tricky because it's not as though we all are on board and we understand, okay, all right, we get it. We all believe it's the same problem. We just need to solve it. We don't even agree on the same problems. And this was true way before COVID-19. We didn't agree. So here's some examples. Is global climate change real? Yes or no? Is obesity a health concern? Yes or no? Is milk good for you? Yes or no? <laughs> um, should we eat organic food? Yes or no? <laughs> like, what constitutes healthy food? Insert your answers here. Like It just keeps on going. So it's not as though we're all sitting around at the dinner table saying, okay, we all agree that blank is the problem. Now we just need to figure out a solution. That would be hard enough. We don't even agree on the problems. So when you have something like COVID-19, you've got some people showing up at the table going, bah, this is barely a problem. You pansies, get back to work. And you've got some people who are saying, no, this is a problem. People are dying. You can't be sending people back to work. This will be absolute chaos and mayhem. Have you been to a hospital? And meanwhile, and on to that end, some hospitals are being flooded with patients. Others are doing okay. And some of them, the only reason they're doing okay is because of the social distance measures we put in place. Some of them were doing fine, irrespective of the social distance measures that people aren't adhering to. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And so this podcast I listened to was, and I do highly recommend listening to Sam Harris's podcast. Uh, he's making sense. And the topic that he raised, he, he brings on some military professionals who talk about how social cohesion was instrumental in helping to combat Al-Qaeda. And so what was neat about their expertise is that they funneled that sort of blueprint onto how they could use some of the same styles of communication in order to combat quote unquote COVID-19. Because in essence, what they said was, here's what we needed, to, we figured out we needed to do. We needed to break apart but all basically synchronize our communication. It needed to be on point. We needed to be really clear about what each person was doing at all times, and we all needed to work collaboratively. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? Because here's the thing, with China, with South Korea, these are countries that have cultures, even though they might have different economic structures, even if they have different leaders in play, uh, you know, you might celebrate one and you know, poo-poo on the other. Social cohesion is something they do have in spades. But at what cost? Well, the cost being that they don't celebrate the individual to quite the extent that we do. And as I'm talking about this with a very close friend of mine, he, who's who's very much pro-America and very pro-individual, had said, you know, the celebration of the individual is Western society's single best asset that it offers us. You just have to deal with the fact that we won't have social cohesion. And I quite simply disagree. I mean, I agree with him that the fact that we celebrate individualism is a good thing. I can especially say that as a woman, because if we couldn't have, 
if we didn't have that as the backbone of our philosophy, it's entirely possible that I could still be the one sitting with an apron and having to be, you know, hanging out behind the stove in a kitchen. You know, the celebration of the individual is what made possible some of the best progress we've made, uh, well, again, for each of one of us singularly. And also, who's to say that we can't have both? Who's to say we cannot celebrate the individual while also having social cohesion? And, well, honestly, if it's not true that we can, well, then I, I don't see America thriving for much longer. When you're talking about having to operate in a global economy with many stakeholders and all kinds of unknown variables, including things like pandemics, and again, global economy. So one person flounders, it's going to affect everyone else. And we're we knew that intellectually before, but I think we're only starting to really see it in real time now. So as an example, part of the reason that we don't have enough PPE is because a lot of it is made in China. Well, China's kind of like, sorry, we can't make them for you. We're trying to make them for ourselves. And even to the extent that they would be willing to make them for us, and I think they would be, well, now you have this whole other problem of, well, are they contaminated? <laughs> Um, do we even really want to be getting them from China right now? Uh, was that a good idea? Should we make our own? Why don't we have our own? Well, that's because we don't. It's and so on. So where we're living right now, if America really does want to be number one and remain at the top of the charts in a real authentic way, not just number one in military spending or number one in total incarcerated people in the country, but number one as in best scores on tests, number one is in lowest infant mortality rate, number one is in, you know, best quality of medical care for what we pay. We need to figure out how to strike this balance. And we have done it before, granted in extraordinary circumstances. So I'm the example that's coming to my mind is in World War II. I mean, we were coming out of a Great Depression in World War II. We had, I mean, really, seemingly no, like, what? We're gonna get involved in a world war? Right after, like, okay, 1929, bam, Great Depression. All throughout the 30s, <laughs> we're flipping, like, economic woes, we were weak, we were tired as a nation. And yet, Pearl Harbor happens and an entire nation rallies. Factories open up. People on the ground domestically were willing to sacrifice their food stores, their cotton, their clothing, their husbands, their brothers, their fathers, to send their soldiers off across the seas to achieve a common goal. I'm not trying to say, oh, therefore America is the reason why World War II swung around and we are the heroes and blah, blah, blah. But they were heroes because we're talking about a country that was already extremely fatigued and then just like, all right, you know what, but we're going to rally. And what's extraordinary about that isn't that they did rally, or not just rather, that they did rally, but that you got an entire nation of individualistic people who presumably would have been in much more of a, a shelter-in-place mindset. And to be fair, we kind of were. There's a reason it took us so long to get into World War II good part of that is because we were tired and we were feeling very isolationist. Thank you very much. We'd already done World War One. We weren't really interested in doing another round. So that was there. But ultimately, 
when Europe was really falling apart and America had to deal with the very real possibility that, hey, maybe Germany and Japan are going to be coming over here pretty soon, we did rally. And everyone, for the most part, was on board. That is a miraculous feat. Say what you will about whether or not it was a good idea or a bad idea to get involved in World War II, or whether we should have gotten involved sooner or would have been best served not getting involved at all. There was a problem, we all agreed to the problem, and we all agreed to get jump on board for the solution. What? Just, what? (laughs) So we can do it. We know we can. How do we do something like that in a scenario like this? Because, I mean, if there's one thing that can be beneficial about war, it's that at least it's profitable. I mean, it kicked us right out of that depression. Woohoo. People had to die. Horrific things needed to take place. But it wasn't too hard for people with a lot of money in their back pocket at stake to kind of go, well, maybe there's at least money to be made. The economy could get a kickstart. In a situation like what we're in now, it doesn't work that way. We're being told on equal measure, slow down, stay home, don't go to work, which threatens the economy. But to go back to work threatens our lives, potentially. If not my life as a person, then maybe if I get it and I spread it to someone else whose life now is in peril. So again, the balance. Collaboration. Like individual, like the celebration of the individual alongside collaboration. How do you marry these two together? Well, <laughs> the only answer that comes to my mind is leadership. And that is the reason why this episode is called Collaboration and Leadership. So let me back up a little bit when we're talking about, like, let's begin with the individual, since that's where we're really, that's our strong suit. Uh, I'm using self-determination theory here and motivation. Given that we do celebrate individualism, it makes sense that we would be very preoccupied with what is it that motivates people? How do we get people to do what I want them to do without coercion? coercion. Because while China's ability to flatten the curve was extraordinary and impressive, you can't tell me that coercion wasn't involved. So, and here we are in a country that prides itself on not coercing people into doing things. All right well then we're gonna need to motivate people to do things on their own accord. All right, well, when are people motivated? Turns out that if people want to achieve psychological growth and and, or to to make a move, to make a change, they need three things. This is again, self-determination theory. They need competence. So people need to gain a a mastery of tasks, um, the ability to learn different skills. When people feel like they have a skill set that they can offer and contribute, it gives them the, the sense of empowerment they need to, to pitch in. Uh, they need connection or relatedness. So people need to experience a sense of belonging, a sense of attachment to other people, which <laughs> when you're thinking about COVID-19, it's all the more difficult because we're being asked to socially distance. <laughs> Except... Not really. 
this is what I find so fascinating about where we're at right now. Despite the fact that physically we're distancing, socially we're not really that distant. If anything, I think we are getting closer together and maybe that's part of humanity. So I know Kelly McGonigal's done a lot of work on stress. When people are stressed, while they do produce adrenaline and cortisol, they also produce oxytocin, which is what stirs that desire to cuddle, to connect, to hold. So competence, connection or relatedness, and the final one is autonomy. People need to feel like they're in control of their own behaviors and their own goals. And having the sense of being able to take direct action gives them a sense that they're playing a major part in helping people. And when they feel like they're able to do that, they, they have that sense of self-determination, hence self-determination theory. Okay, so if you want a person to feel motivated to do something, not coerced, motivated to do something, they need to feel like they're competent, they, they have the information they need to have, and they have the skill set they need to have. They need to feel like they're connected, like there's a relationship with the people around them. And they need to feel like they're autonomous beings. They're being given the baton. They're being told, I trust you to make this decision. And I trust that you have the skill set to make this and do it right. Whew, that's a tall order when you're trying to get everyone on board to do the exact same thing, but you want to motivate them in a way that's intrinsic to each individual. Holy moly. <laughs> like, all right, so how does one do that? And that brings me to leadership. So far as I can tell, it seems to me like if you want to be able to create a culture or steer a community, rather, in a direction that is beneficial for the whole, and maybe that's going to require them to make sacrifices on an individual level, that serves the whole of the community and then in the long run serves each one of those members in the community individually, there has to be someone who can lead. Which is a little unfortunate. I don't know that we have a whole lot of leaders that are doing a great job, but we do have some. And there's a number of leaders that have been championed as, uh, you know, really showing up and people are rallying around them. So I don't want to get into the nitty gritty here because then it starts looking like, oh, I want to, you know, like I, I, I don't want this to make a poo-pooing on Trump. I don't happen to like him. I don't make any mystery about that. I don't love the way he handled COVID-19. There you have it. Just so you know what my biases are, I like to just kind of put that on the table if you disagree with me, that is fine. If you agree with me, that is fine. So yeah, just saying. So I'm just going to look up right now. There is an article that came out that talked about some of the, some of like the, the highlighted leaders, um, uh, like the best and worst, but I don't want to talk about the worst. I want to talk about the best. So just to give you some examples of who popped up, do, 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 I'll put this in the show notes. Um, number one, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. So yeah, I know I mentioned Ohio earlier. So he, in terms of the actions that he put in play, uh, so on March 12th, even though Ohio had yet to suffer a major outbreak, DeWine called for a statewide closure of public schools, the first governor in the nation to do so, uh, forcing most of the fellow governors to recognize they had to follow suit. So he was basically the one who set the, he set the pace. Um, he's a Republican 
lifelong public servant. He was calm, sober, data-driven. He was able to help his state flatten the curve earlier than most because he put, he, he set the tone. Another one was uh, Gavin Newsom. He was championed as, you know, again, uh, in terms of he shifting uh, the spotlight away from other hungrily ambitious governor of Big Blue State, blah, blah, blah. Um, Newsom was the first governor in America to issue a statewide order to shutter, I thought it said shut down, to shutter businesses and keep people at home. Newsom had help when three days earlier, public health officials in six Bay Area counties went first and issued a joint stay-at-home order. Uh, the strong action appears to be bending the curve, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, after being shown data in early March that argued for severe social distancing, Inslee immediately moved to ban large gatherings and prepared the public for more stringent measures. The quick action has paid off, and so on and so forth. So really, no one of these leaders, though, could have achieved what they achieved by themselves. So if you start parceling out, okay, great. So like number one, DeWine. So he put some measures out there and he told people not to go out. Okay. But he didn't stop there. Daily, he's going out and talking to the public. And when he does go out to the public, he, I mean, he has videos. Um, it's like hour long. Hey, this is where we're at. And he, when you listen to him speak on YouTube or C-SPAN or you know, I was watching it on YouTube, it's, he continuously starts with, I want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. It's making a difference. We're not out of the woods yet, but the reason that we, it, this could have been so much worse. And it, he never fails to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to the public. Thank you to all of the healthcare professionals who are standing beside me and are keeping me informed. Here, let me go ahead and give the baton to them or the microphone to them. Let me really give them, you know, more, like, so that they can inform you. So it's like, interesting. Well, that's then what led me to think, if these are examples of guys who were able to achieve extraordinary feats, and they did that really by way of inspiring people to move in a direction that was better for the whole. Is there, are they just special people? Is Gavin Newsom and DeWine, are, are they, one was a Democrat, the other one's a Republican. One's in Ohio, the other one is in California. Like, are they, is it just a special gene of leadership? And so obviously, I mean, I wasn't gonna stop there. There's gotta be something more to it than that. And as luck would have it, there are people who have done research on leadership. So what is it that makes a good leader? I have, after doing all of the research, the first thing that often comes up, and most of what I'm pulling from right now is actually from Brene Brown's work, uh, dare, uh, Daring to Lead. So good leaders, or rather to start with, here's what lead, <laughs> talking is hard today. Um, here's what good leaders don't do. So this is what examples of bad, of poor leadership. They avoid tough conversations. So they want to be nice and polite, or they want to put fluffy language around it. They don't want to be real with what's happening. Uh, they diminish trust. So they're not taking the smart risks where they need to. They're not taking accountability and they're opting out of vital conversations about diversity and about uh, collaboration and about what's really happening. Um, they're rushing into unsustainable solutions. I, nope, I'm not gonna go there. 
I'll just suffice it to say there are a number of people in high positions of power who have done exactly these things. And it's exactly, I wasn't able to put a language to it, but oh heck, I will say Trump because this is again just illuminating my bias. Part of the reason that I personally haven't been able to champion or sort of be like, woohoo, go Trump. He's, I didn't walk into the situation trusting him very much. And then it was, no, this isn't that big of a deal. Turns out it was. But hey, you know, he's he's a businessman. He's not even really a politician. People make mistakes. Anybody could have been up there thinking that it wasn't going to be as big a deal as it turned out to be. Fine. But then, as it was clear that it was a big deal, it's, oh, well, it's fine. It'll be done by Easter. And it'll be done by this date. It'll be done by this date. And it's like, just stop. Just stop. And the reason it was so aggravating for me personally is because for me, it felt like he was avoiding the tough conversation. He was glossing it over. He was rushing into unsustainable solutions and he was diminishing trust for me personally. And I'm sure there are people out there who feel like it's the exact opposite. And this actually kind of goes back to, you know, the problem of when you have a country of individuals who can't agree on what constitutes a problem. So having gone through all of that, what then is a good leader? What is it that DeWine and that Gavin Newsom are doing so well that in my view, our president isn't doing as well? And how might we take that information and apply that in our own communities? Because ultimately this is a podcast about, you know, again, creative renegades and highly sensitive beatniks and This is a population of people, people who have more sensitive nervous systems, who tire more easily, who connect more easily. They often have tremendous imposter syndrome and are really reluctant to step into leadership roles because they know what's at stake. And that's really kind of unfortunate because highly sensitive people can be fabulous leaders. Introverts make fabulous leaders. They don't make any better of a leader than an extrovert does, but They have some unique gifts to offer, and the traits that I'm about to go over in terms of what constitutes a good leader, I think you'll find lend themselves well to, or rather having a sensitive nervous system might lend itself well to one who aspired to good leadership. So a good leader is honest, but it doesn't emotionally dump. So bad leadership. So let's imagine, like, you know, take Trump off the podium. Let's just imagine that, or maybe put him on there. But let's imagine that he came up there and instead said, listen, guys, I don't know what's happening. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm clueless. I'm as clueless as you guys are. So, you know, don't blame me for this. That's not good leadership. That's emotional dumping. He's being honest, maybe, but he's not providing leadership. He's just basically trying to absolve himself of responsibility. He's trying to get people to like him. He never did that, to be clear. I'm just, imagine if he had. That would be an example of someone who was just kind of emotionally dumping. So good leadership looks like, all right, this is the situation. It's not good. It's bad. It's real bad. Here's how bad. Let me explain what I understand to be true about how this works. And let me now share with you what we need to do to move forward. And here's how I'm going to support you along the way. And I know this is going to be hard, but I am here and I'm here with you every step. I will hold the space for you and I'm doing everything I can to make this as safe for you as possible. So it's it's not, let me make it all about me. It's, I hear you. I know this is hard, but I'm here for you. Let me be real with what's going on. I can't tell you everything because I don't know everything, 
but everything that I find out, I'm going to share. Um, they hold people accountable, including themselves. They encourage people to become their best selves and back that up with action. Uh, they don't confuse faith with discipline to see the facts. So some people are so hunkered down in the nitty gritty details that they have no faith at all in, a possible, in the possibility of things getting better. You don't want that any more than you want someone who's constantly saying, it'll be good, we'll be out at Easter, without really looking at the cold, hard facts. So it's like, you want a balance. You want someone you can say, hey, we're doing great. Things are looking good. We might end up doing getting out of this better. However, these are the facts as they are. They invest time in their own fear and emotions. They hold up boundaries and they're clear about what is okay and what's not okay. So, <laughs> um, to kind of use one sort of singular words here, poor leaders are armored, perfectionistic, operate from scarcity. They use numbing tactics. They go to the, the victim or Viking mentality. They're worried about being right. They tend to be cynical, critical. They're out for compliance. They use fear as a weapon. Uh, they reward exhaustion. They tolerate discrimination. They're interested in collecting gold stars. They avoid hard conversations and they lead from hurt. Good leaders aspire to healthy striving. So they're not into perfectionism. They're just doing healthy striving. They practice gratitude. So they come from a place of thank you. What you're doing matters. They set boundaries. This is what's okay. This is not okay. Yes, you can do A, B, and C. You can go out. You can go for a walk. No, you can't go to a restaurant. It's very clear. Integration. Soft front, strong back. So it's, I'm leading from my heart space. I hear you. I'm here for you. Also, I'm going to hold this up for you. Um, they're interested in learning, not knowing. So instead of coming out and being like, I know everything, I know all the things. I'm super smart. I'm so smart. I'm so, so smart. I'm so smart that the doctors even say that I'm the smartest person they've ever met. No, no. It's, I'm learning. I'm a student. I'm a forever learner. We're going to figure this out together. They're coming from a place of contribution. How can I contribute to making this better? Cultivating commitment and purpose in other people. So they inspire people. Um, they don't want to come at fear, using fear as a weapon, but they want to name the fear. Um, modeling rest and play and recovery. That's one thing I will say that uh, if you're looking at our president, I mean, of all the presidents we've seen so far, he has certainly aged the best. Like, he knows how to degaff. <laughs> and maybe other presidents could learn from him for that. And I'm honestly not being facetious or sarcastic. There is something to be said for that. Uh, straight talking, and they lead from the heart instead of leading from hurt. So that's information that's coming again from Brene Brown. I wanted though to kind of pull people that I knew personally and colleagues of mine, because I thought, well, let me think about like people that I imagine are either good leaders or have seen good leaders or who think differently from me. So as an example, one of my close friends who he's actually a supporter of Trump, he thinks Trump's doing pretty well. Um, certainly not that he's perfect, but in a very similar vein, I didn't think that Obama was perfect, though I liked him. So and he's sort of the inverse of that. He, he doesn't think that Trump is perfect, but he likes him. So naturally, I'm just like, okay, what do you think good leadership means? And what he told me wasn't that different from what the research Brene Brown gleaned was. So 
He wrote, someone that can inspire people to do something difficult or perhaps even something they don't want to do. They provide incentive or purpose for people to cooperate. So a good leader then is not saying you will do this. China, South Korea, I don't really know about South Korea. Maybe they use some combination, but you know, you hear these countries and they flatten the curve, yes, but they had to use coercion. If you really want to combine the awesomeness that is America as individuals beside the awesomeness that is social cohesion when it's used well, it's going to require leaders who can inspire people to do something, can provide incentive, a sense of purpose. So another friend of mine who is sort of, you know, in terms of the political spectrum closer to me, when I asked her what makes a good leader, she wrote transparency, but ability to discern value added. So it's not just let me vomit information onto you. It's let me be really discerning with the information that I know to be helpful. Confident in the talents of the group to come together for a goal. So it's not just, I'm super smart, I'm super awesome, here's what I'm doing. It's how do I capitalize on the gifts and strengths of the people around me and inspire them to work together using those strengths to achieve a common goal. Ability to identify and acknowledge individual talents and how they can positively impact the group. So that's more of that. Um, work from strengths-based place. Admit mistakes gracefully and identify learning opportunities. So as an example, with all of my, you know, huffle, you know, kerfuffles around Trump, if at any point Trump, with a sober expression, could come out and say, I made a mistake and I owe this country an apology. I did not think this was going to be or to get as bad as it did, and it has. I'm taking responsibility for that. Here's how we're gonna fix it. That in and of itself would shift me not only to number one, like really being surprised, first of all, but I might even vote for the song bitch. <laughs> like I, that is what it would take. Accountability is really, really important. It's hard to do that as a politician. I imagine that would be hard for anyone. Trump, Obama, Clinton, Bush, wouldn't matter. But that's good leadership. It's, it's doing what's hard over doing what's easy or like doing what's right over doing what's easy. So anyway, uh, model self-care and compassion. I will say when I, again, this is, you know, people make fun of Trump all the time because he's going out golfing or this or that. I actually don't mind that so much. I don't care if he wants to take care of himself. Um, they don't pass the buck. And they work towards a balance that needs no coercion. She even used the word coercion. So notice the same threads are continuously coming up. And this is a final person who, you know, I, she's definitely someone, she claims that she doesn't see herself as a leader, but I most certainly would see her as one. Um, a good boss is collaborative, allows the people working under them to be autonomous, empathetic, compassionate, never authoritative, but instead collaborative. So again, over and over, these themes keep coming up. So just to kind of wrap this up, because I know I'm going, it might feel like I'm going all over the place. The theme is collaboration and leadership. And really, the reason I'm focusing on both of those is if we're going to not just get through this thing, but really thrive in it, what we're hungry for is someone who can be a leader and inspire us to move forward to get creative. Now, we can't just wave a magic wand and all get the leader we want. 
as individuals, we might all value slightly different things. That was a long list I just went over. Some people might think that uh, being compassionate is important, but maybe not as important as being assertive and direct and clear. Other people might say just the opposite. So instead of saying to all of you, okay, let's go find ourselves a good leader and let's go follow that leader. My request, my challenge, my invitation to you is to think about what you think constitutes good leadership in the list that I just gave and ask yourself, what would it look like if I were to become the leader I wanted to see? What would it look like if I were to become the leader that I would want to see? So instead of saying, oh, DeWine is great, oh, Trump is bad, ask yourself, what is it about DeWine that you like? Or if you actually like what Trump is doing, maybe you think he's doing a great job, what exactly is it about him that you like and how can you emulate it? What is the quality? And to that end, that brings me to, so, because I've seen people individually and in communities achieve some extraordinary feats. So just as an example, in the hospital that I work, organizations and businesses from all over the community have been donating food, resources, money, you name it, um, for those who are working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic right now. And we at the Health Education Center are being tasked with the glorious job of organizing all of these donations and figuring out how to distribute them effectively and how to you know, say a a giant thank you to the community. So you want to talk about having basically the best job in the world. It's my job to look every day at the generosity of my community. Ooh, tough life. Um, In addition to that, I'm seeing people get wildly creative and compassionate and communicative in a time when we're all being asked to socially isolate I have never seen more examples of connection. So I've got a good friend of mine who's making her own soap and her own hand sanitizer because the soap and the hand sanitizer was all getting, um, well, the the shelves in the stores were bare. (laughs) So she made her own. She figured out how to make hand sanitizer and then she brought it to her place of work um, and then gave some to me. By the way, it's the only soap I've ever used that I could put on my face and doesn't make me break out. And if anything, my skin looks better. So it's like, wait, you did what? This is a person who works in an extraordinarily stressful environment and she managed to bring just a little bit of magic. And she sent out an email to all of her colleagues saying, I just want to say thank you for all of your hard work to, I mean, she's the supervisor. So um, it was a, a basically a, a massive thank you note and talking about, you know, hey, thanks for daring greatly. She quoted... Teddy Roosevelt's speech, The the Man in the Arena. Uh, I've seen people on, even though we're all social distancing, people give each other eye contact. They they say, like, they nod. They, they are going out of their way to simply say, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Even as they wear the mask. Which, P.S., turns out wearing masks, uh, with some exceptions, but for the most part, doesn't help you f- from, you know, keep you from catching it, but it keeps you from giving it. So every person out there who's wearing a mask is basically saying to the world, I care about you. I don't want to get you sick. Like, how is that not leadership on its own? 
I'm seeing people open up their own businesses and inviting others to open up their own businesses. I'm seeing people connect through, like I, I have a meetup group. I'm not saying that makes me a wildly fabulous leader, but we're getting really creative and nifty. Like we're adaptable, nimble. So how, what is something that you could be doing to be a part of the solution? What could you be doing to be facilitating others to be a part of the solution? What skills do you bring to the table that might make for fabulous leadership? And to that end, I'm hosting a meetup group on April 25th. So it's from 12 p.m. Pacific time to 1.30 p.m. And if you have, if you've maybe launched your own business, if you've had, you know, you've gotten really creative, you're making your own somethings, you've been gifting your neighbors, or you have experienced really good leadership and you want to share, please, please come. If you go to my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com and look in upcoming events, you will see that again on April 25th, um, I put it on Eventbrite as well as in the meetup group. The meetup is a little challenging because I think it only highlights people that are local to me, even though it is a, a, a online event. So I put it on an Eventbrite as well as the meetup group. Um, it's a Zoom meetup. So again, just it's only an hour and a half. And if you have something you want to share, I would love to highlight you. What is it that you've, do you have your own business? Um, are you seeing other people pop up that you want to celebrate? Uh, or if you don't really want to be put on the spotlight, but you would love it if I maybe gave you a shout out, um, please, you can email me. That's Leah, L-E-A-H, at thehealthysensitive.com. Or you can just go straight to my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com, and just put in the contact form, you know, some information that you would like me to share during that meetup so that I can, again, link to your email, not your email, your website or Whatever it is you're doing, I just want to take an opportunity to celebrate what how people are getting creative and how people are being leaders. So two challenges then. Number one, how might you take this information and go out there and be the leader you want to see? Number two, if you're kind of already doing it, how can I celebrate you? <laughs> can you please share it with me? Because I would love, love, love to celebrate it. Um, and then that actually kind of brings me to some housekeeping. Uh, I've been putting forth a lot of effort in terms of the uh, highly, the healthy sensitive membership circle. Uh, I've blasted, I've put up some more courses. If you're interested, so every day I'm going to be updating with new information. So there's sort of one-off lectures that I put in the membership site every day, and there's also a la carte courses you can take if you want to do it that way. But it's just five dollars a month. So if you would love to, if you'd like to join, I would certainly love to have you. And that again, www.thehealthysensitive.com and just click on join the community. Uh, If you have questions too, just send me an email. And if you really want to have access to the information, but you just can't afford $5 a month, email me. Uh, I don't want money to be the reason that you don't get support. And the meetups are always complimentary. So anytime I do any meetups, uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you're not giving me, I mean, you're giving me your time. So those are free. And then when I'm done, I record them all and then I put those recordings in the membership site. So if you want access to them after the fact, that's when I ask that you pay, mostly because I don't want people who don't actually want to be there to have access to that content. So you can either come or if you don't want to come but would love to see the, um, the recording of it after the fact, just come on and join the membership group. 
yeah, I think that just about covers it. Um, oh, nope, one more thing. Um, I know I've mentioned before, I do have a private coaching practice. Ordinarily, um, you know, I, I have my own payment structures and schemes, and I'm currently knocking it off 50%. I'm basically just um, charging the amount that covers the cost of having like the coaching platform that I use and the software and the tools and resources. So if you're interested in individual coaching and want support, also please send me an email, leah at thehealthysensitive.com. And again, if you're worried about money, just let me know that. I don't want money to be the reason that you don't get support if me supporting you would be helpful. All right. Ah, well, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, for listening. Um, this is such a joy to, to be able to have a space, to have my own little area to hear my own self speak. So I do hope this is helpful to you. Uh, I will be right back here next week talking about how we are getting creative. I'm going to do a, a bit of a deeper dive into, um, you know, like the kinds of examples of creativity that I'm seeing and the importance of that creativity and resiliency right now. So in the next podcast, if anyone would like to share some of the things that they're doing, I would love to give you a shout out. Um, oh, also, I wanted to give a shout out to, um, uh, starting next week, I'm going to be giving shout outs to anyone who joins the membership circle, uh, just their first name, not their full name, of course, but just kind of saying thank you for coming. So you'll be hearing that at the end of each of my shows. All right, that's housekeeping. <laughs> Have a wonderful, wonderful night. Stay safe, be well, take care of you, and let me know if there's any way I can contribute to doing any of those things on your behalf. Bye-bye.